church attendance is so important. Uh, not just uh, that we send our kids to church, that, but we, we take them to church and we're involved in, the, in their spiritual growth as well as we are uh, their physical. Because the spiritual is, is, uh, is greater than the physical. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Hey guys, this is Tony with the Crucial Conversation Podcast. A little bit different today. Brian is not hosting with me today. I'm running solo today, but I do have a very special guest today, uh, Brother Eddie Gordon, Children's Evangelist out of Bastrop, Louisiana. How are you, Brother Gordon? Hey, good, Tony. Good to be with you. I want to let everybody know that uh, I'll be calling Brother Gordon Eddie today because we're we're friends. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot, a lot less formal than some of our other interviews, but we're real good friends um, in the ministry together. So, Brother Eddie, I want to get to know you a little bit. Tell us kind of how you got involved in children's ministry. My goodness, Tony, that's a that's it's a, a long it's story. A broad, broad question. <laughs> it really is. Um, we started out here. Of course, we're we're doing this in uh, in an office where I used to work um, for quite a while, in uh, in our home church, and we started out teaching Sunday school just up the hall back in '92. My wife and I moved to the Bastrop United Pentecostal Church. And uh, we were here about six or eight months, and pastor asked us if we would help with a, a Sunday school class. So we went in and started assisting in 92. We had uh, we had a six-month-old baby and uh, just uh, moved into this assembly. We we come from a, another church in the area and uh, started teaching Sunday school. And so time progressed, and we taught Sunday school in that class, and uh, a few quarters went by, and pastor asked us to help in another area. So, wherever he tried, you know, wherever he asked, we tried to we tried to help and facilitate our Sunday school department. And uh, there was a, a gentleman that held the administrative office here in, in the Bassard Church, and uh, he come down with a brain tumor and was ill and wasn't able to to do all the things he wanted to. So, pastor asked if we'd come in and help in this office and uh, facilitate. Uh, the administrative end of, of our Sunday school department. And uh, we worked in this uh, in that capacity helping. And then as time proceeded and passed, uh, passed along, we were asked to come in and take the lead role. And so uh, we, we were lead uh, Sunday school directors for some time. And uh, we had several others helping. In uh, Louisiana, we have a thing called Kid Reach. It is a uh, teacher training session that's hosted at the Louisiana District Campgrounds in uh, Tioga. And uh, we went down and walked in the door and run into several people that we knew. And one of the pastors asked us uh, if we'd be willing to come and help them with a, a vacation Bible school. And uh, that pastor was Gary, Gary Bankson out of Rose Pine. And uh, just a week or so back, we were there. Marks uh, the 11 years that we've been going there. Uh, but we started out helping them with the VBS. We had six children that first year got the Holy Ghost, and uh, I think there was eight or nine that got baptized. And uh, Pastor Bankson told me, he said, we've never had that, that type of VBS. And uh, uh, word got out and started spreading that we were, we were helping do vacation Bible schools. And uh, at that time, we weren't licensed. We were just, uh, you know, just working out of our, our home church occasionally 
during the summer and every once in a while on a weekend. And um, pastor called us a front church one service and prophesied some things over us. And I kind of I kind of laughed, not necessarily at him making fun. I just kind of laughed. You just didn't like, see it yourself. Oh, I couldn't see it. I was like, <laughs> Pastor, you you don't understand. I'm a nobody. You know, I, right. I don't I don't have um, any heritage in in this at all. He said, Well, I know what I feel in the spirit. He said, God's gonna He's gonna do great things. And, and how and how long ago was that, brother? That was probably I'm gonna say <clears throat> ten years ago, maybe nine. Uh, it was after we were going out some, and uh, we were just going out as laity. You know, we didn't have license or anything. Right. And uh, he called me uh, outside one day. Called me aside, and he said, "You really need to go get licensed." I said, "License for what? I got vehicle driver's license." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, "No, you need to you need to get uh, licensed to, to minister." He said, uh, "God's going to open doors, and He's going to use you." And I said, "Well, just tell me what to do." So I met. My presbyter and talked to him, got application and started the process. And uh, you know, in that time, a, a license process a little bit different than it is now. Right. I had to read a few books. Most of the books that was on the list, I already you know, I'd already read most of those. And uh, so I read the books and started meeting the requirements and met the met the district board there in Tioga and uh, got our license and we started. Uh, we just kept continuing doing what we were doing, and our circle started to grow and get bigger and bigger, you know, outside of Louisiana. Uh, we covered 22 states last year and made a trip so you, up into Canada. You're a full-time children's evangelist. Full-time. I, I want to ask you about full-time ministry. Um, how long have you been evangelizing full-time? Probably the last... Uh, Maybe the last six to seven years. And before that, um, you you were just you held a a job outside of the church, um, but you were still working with children in your local assembly. And uh, when you jumped in to ministry full time, um, and you decided you know you're going to be a full time children's evangelist that travels, did that scare you a little bit? I mean, because you, you, the safety net's gone. You know, well, you know, brother. I think the Lord knew I would have never, um, I would have never taken it up had He not eased us into it. Right. Uh, so, for one thing, He did. You know, it was a gradual process. We didn't just, you know, we just flung into it or jumped into it. Uh, it was a gradual process. But yeah, it was pretty. We were pretty nerve wracked and, you know, kind of cautious and scared and not fearful. Just didn't know exactly what to do or how to do it. You know, there's there's right ways to do things, and we try to always do the right way. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of uh, scary leaving a, a full time secular job and had pretty stable income. And uh, you know, I, I was a self contractor. I painted painted houses, residential commercial work for myself, and had a crew. And going from that to uh, downsizing, and kept cutting back on that because we didn't have time to. To do all the things we were doing, and you really don't do that much at all anymore, do you? I still do a little. Uh, stripe a few parking lots and do things for um, old clients and elders of the church. Right, and, but you're more or less full time ministry minded right now. Yes, yeah, sir. When we uh, we went full time, I was at the district office one day, and our district secretary, we were talking, and uh, you know, I asked him, I said, "Well, Brother Harper, Brother Randy Harper's our secretary here." I said, "Brother Harper, what um, you know what?" 
constitutes full-time evangelism or full-time ministry he said well he said when you when you have 80 percent of your income or more comes from is derived from ministry then you know that's considered full-time and i said well brother we we've done over 200 services this past and at that time this past year he said Brother, he said, you're full-time. <laughs> yeah. He says, a lot, of, say so. a lot of pastors, you know, they, they, they may not hold but 100 services, maybe 120, 130 services a year. But um, we were working out of this church. Uh, you know, it got to be where we were going more than just weekends, but we would rush home from wherever we were and do the jobs that we had. My wife was, uh, you know, she helps uh, janitorial uh, uh, skill in some of the area churches and uh, businesses around and so she would run home and she would go to work doing her thing and I'd go to work painting and then Thursday usually Thursday evening or early Friday morning we would pack up the vehicle and hit the road for ministry so we were uh we were burning the candle <laughs> yes yeah, I'd say so I'm glad you brought your wife up uh we had dinner last night uh me and my mother-in-law Kim Ramsey and my brother-in-law Craig O'Brien are down here in Bastrop Louisiana right now uh, a part of ministering with Youthquake. And that's been going on for quite some time and such a wild success here in Louisiana. Um, but we had a, me and Brother Eddie sat down and talked last night and I kind of, you know, talked about the questions we'd be asking him today here on the podcast. And one of the questions I asked him was, What does your wife mean to you in this ministry? Because she left her job as well. And she's when you see Brother Eddie, his wife's not far behind. Um, she's she's got your back. She's done. I mean, she's with you everywhere. What is, what does she mean to you in your ministry? You know, really, it's the other way around. When you see her, I'm not far behind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, she's my goodness. Uh, of the time that we've been evangelizing, uh, she may have missed uh, ten or fifteen services with me because of. Uh, something going on in the family or some reason she had to stay at home but she still even now she comes home a lot of times we'll be gone for a week or so she comes home gets out of the vehicle and then she goes and she still takes care of uh, one church here in the area that has I don't know it's a big facility it has like 20 something restrooms it's a big church big facility she still uh, maintains uh, maintains that building Uh, she works for a CPA here cleans her offices um, so she still, you know, she still to us to kind of help supplement. And I still stripe a few parking lots. But back to the question, brother, she's, uh, I couldn't do this without her. Um, I'm not one to run puppets too well. I'm not too good with a puppet. But she and our youngest daughter, Elena, travels with us. And, uh, brother, they do a tremendous job with puppets. Now, yeah. you give her a microphone and she clams up. She won't say anything. She's real... Uh, real quiet on the front of the service but she does a very good job with puppets and then of course packing and unpacking and and washing clothes you've done it on the road some so you know what i'm talking about um you know you sometimes you you have dirty laundry you've hauled around the back of the vehicle and and wash day comes that wash day may be 12 1400 miles from home right and uh if it wasn't for her she she keeps me looking and smelling good (laughs) (laughs) We don't do a good job. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm not too good at that from my own self. But, but I'm glad you started talking about a little bit about what you guys do. Um, if you guys don't know Eddie Gordon, you have a Facebook, right? Yeah, I've got a Facebook. Um, um, you guys have to go check his Facebook out. So 
I'm going to tell on myself, Brother Eddie, I am scared of balloons, but you use a massive balloon as a ministry tool. Tell everybody about the balloon man. Wow, Tony, that's uh, that's crazy. <laughs> um, we started out doing ministry, and you know, you, you start looking and searching for something that makes your ministry unique or different or, you know, kind of sets you, uh, sets you apart, uh, something people recognize, not necessarily you, but, you, you know, your ministry and what you do. And uh, I was looking for something. That, I had friends that helped us with, with uh, teaching us illusions and mentoring us in all kinds of uh, different uh, uh, areas of ministry. And I said, man, I need something. I, I can't do puppets too well, so you know I'm not a ventriloquist or I can't do any of those kind of skills. And uh, I was kind of perusing the internet one day, and I, I stumbled upon this guy doing this same stunt that I do. Uh, he was doing it at a uh, uh, some type of carnival. I said, that's pretty interesting. I said, I don't, I don't know if I could do that or not, but I'm gonna try to give it a shot and see. So I ordered up some of these balloons, and I got. I ordered three, I think it was, my first order. They come in, man, I opened the package up. I was so excited. When I looked in the box, I was disappointed. <laughs> yeah. It didn't look anything like he was doing, you know. And uh, so I get one out, and I start to play with it and try to – I blew it up. I was, I watched how he got in. I tried to get in it. And, man, I got my arm in there and tried to put it over my head, and it popped. I said, oh, no. And uh, so I, I just – I want to give everybody a visual here. This balloon is – Pro, it, when you, while you're blowing it up, it's, it's got to get close to what six? It's a six foot, six uh, foot balloon, seventy two inch balloon. Yeah. So and he he while he's blowing this balloon up, I'm he's gonna go back to the story about what he was just telling you. But just to give you a visual, what this what it is is it's such a big balloon that they blow it up with a leaf blower, and he climbs inside, and then they start putting kids inside. But brother Gordon, go ahead and finish that story up. But initially, I didn't put kids in there, bro. No, no, no. no but I'm telling you how they do right. it now. Yeah, but I was clear, you know, kind of clearing it up. Um, but I, I had the second balloon out. I, I got it blown up and uh, put my arm in there and tried to get it over my head. So I got my head in, and and I was trying to fish my other arm into it, and uh, I just couldn't make it work. I, I played with it for a while. I finally, I said, I, I don't know how to do this. So I let the air out of it and uh, sat there and started watching the videos, trying to critique, figure out how he was doing it. Blowed it back up, and I finally got the balloon over my head and down about the about the middle of my ribs. I said, whoa, this is pretty cool. So I started pushing down on it, and that balloon popped. And uh, it, you, you can imagine what this was like. I was no audience. I was just in, the, in, the, in my home trying to do this. And... Finally, I got the third balloon out, and I popped the third balloon before I could get in it. I said, no, something's wrong. So I called the lady. I said, look, you got to tell me, how are they doing this? Because I'm, you know, I'm not having any success with it. And uh, this lady is, is one of the distributors that I buy from. And she says, well, are you prepping the balloon? I said, no, just blowing it up. She said, no, you got to prep it. You gotta, there's some things you got to do to the balloon. And uh, so I got all the information, so I went back. I had to order some more balloons because <laughs> I didn't pop three and still hadn't gotten in a balloon yet. And uh, and so I got the next order in. I did everything she told me, cleaned the balloon out and warmed the balloon because uh, the balloons had to be warm for that for that latex to stretch that you know that much. And uh, you know made trim the trim the neck of it. I did all the, all the preparation and aired it up. And I finally success. I had both 
both arms in. I pushed it over over my belt, got down, plastic the knees, and stepped inside of it, and uh, finally was able to get in it. And uh, that was uh, that was a uh, the start. And now everybody. Like we all go to general conference and we do these mini surfaces and whenever brother Eddie gets there with that balloon, you take notice of everybody in the whole <laughs> exhibit hall. It's something to see if you haven't seen that. The balloon has been a lot of fun. Um, I checked with my distributor pack, I don't know, several months ago and I ordered them in bulk. <clears throat> and uh, I asked her how many balloons I had ordered and uh, I'm upwards of 600 balloons now. Wow. So I've been in roughly, I'd probably say close to 600. Uh, I order in bulk and probably one, maybe two occasionally out of that bulk will, will pop or, you know, there's something to go wrong with it. But, uh, you know, out of a dozen balloons. Well, Eddie's a busy guy. You uh, guys hear that cell phone? That, uh, no, it's, it's a spam call. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been in... in uh, you know, I say roughly 600 balloons. I've had as many as 15 kids in one balloon. Wow. Um, and I will, I will never be one of those guys. <laughs> I promise you. Oh. So, I, I want to get back to ministry here in a minute. Um, but as you guys know, the Crucial Conversation podcast, we like to talk to people that have went through situations that are some, they're somewhat difficult to talk about. Um, and one of... Brian and I's things that we always want to let people know is that you're you don't have to face things alone, um, brother Eddie. I would love for you to tell the story of Miranda. You have two daughters, Miranda and Elena. Right. And I want you to tell the story of Miranda when she was born. Um, such such a such a powerful story that you've got. Yes, it's more than just a story, brother. It's a uh, it's a huge part of our life, and it's. It's uh, it's pretty detailed. Um, I kind of hit the high, the high parts of it. Maybe try to give the, the audience the best perspective I can in a short time because there's so so much to that story. But uh, prior to our coming to to the Bastrop Church, uh, the church that we were in, uh, we had Elena. We she was probably, I think, she was six months old when we. Uh, well, when her when her incident happened, so it was probably that she was. Uh, somewhere around nine months old when we started coming here to the Bastrop Church and uh, but the onset of her her condition uh, we she got sick one week and we didn't really know what it was you know she was throwing up and uh, stomach was messed up and you know she's a six-month-old baby and we would had her to the doctor try to figure out what you know what was wrong and uh, this particular weekend the last weekend of March in 1992. Um, I got ready on a Sunday morning. And I went to church and uh, my wife kept her at home because she was throwing up and really sick. So I kept her home that Sunday morning. Well, that Sunday evening, uh, we rested a while and uh, you know, tried to monitor her. In fact, uh, we had a doctor, and it's kind of heard of in this day and time, but a doctor, a friend of ours came by and done a, a house call, you know, came to our house and, and checked her and looked at her. He, he wasn't sure what was happening. Um, couldn't understand why she was throwing up. Couldn't keep anything on her, on her stomach. So he came by and checked her, and, and uh, you know, she was, she was okay at that point. 
So I loaded up on a Sunday evening, went to church, and got to church, and service had just about uh, was just about to start, and they called me to the phone. So I ran back to the phone, and my wife is there. She said, "You really you need to come home. Something's going on, and uh, we need you here." So I got home, and when I got there, my my mom and dad was there. Her mom was there. Um, her sister, I mean, you know, a lot of our family was already at my house because we didn't, wasn't sure what was happening. And uh, when I walked in the door shortly after I was there, she started going into uh, seizures. And uh, my dad was parked closest to the road, so my dad and my mother-in-law uh, went and jumped in my dad's vehicle and they rushed her to the emergency room. The ER doctor there, uh, knew that was uh, something neurological. He didn't know what the condition was, but he knew it was a, a neurological problem. So he started a spinal tap and started administering some drugs. And uh, when I walked in the hospital, we followed the ambulance. Um, I say followed the ambulance, I'm getting ahead of myself. We followed uh, my, my dad and my mother-in-law to the hospital. And I walk in and they're calling code blue. And so I didn't know, I mean, we just got into the hospital, walked in, I didn't know who Code Blue was about, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we walk in, and uh, there's a team of doctors and nurses working on her. And uh, the ER doctor come out, and he told us, he said, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's neurological, and we need to, we need to transport her. So uh, they call a team from Glenwood, from West Monroe, Louisiana, that came over and uh picked her up there was a, a doctor and two nurses that was in that ambulance at night and uh they picked her up and uh, we followed her to glenwood regional kind of get a little emotional because it was a pretty tough time for us but um they transported her and we get there and we follow the ambulance walk in the door and uh the uh the neurosurgeon was already had already been called out and uh, he came out and he said, uh, folks, he said, I don't know really how to tell you, but uh, there's some neurological problems. And he said, she's got uh, a condition called hydrocephalitis. And uh, he said, her brain has already swollen um, way larger than it's supposed to. And her cranial pressure was uh, way above, you know, even the high limits of what it was supposed to be. And uh, he says she's got so much spinal fluid on her brain. We're going to go in and, and try to relieve some of it. So they took her back, and uh, this was probably at 10, I don't know, around 10 o'clock at night. And uh, the doctor carried her back and performed a surgery on her. It came out about 2 o'clock in the morning. He said, we're going to just keep her in the operating room because, you know, she's at a very critical state right now. He said, we, we're not bringing her to ICU. We're just going to keep her in the in the surgery unit um, for the next several hours. They kept her back there. And uh, he told us, he said, for every, every hour she lives, her, her chances of survival increase. And he said, when we get past uh, a 24-hour benchmark, he said, then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what the options may be. And so uh, they brought her to ICU. Of course, there she laid on that bed, and she was, uh, you know, had no no clothes on, no diaper, no nothing. Uh, they had two arterial lines, one in each leg, and they had, she was intubated, and she had this, uh, this surgery cap, funny-looking cap on her head from the brain surgery. Uh, 
she had uh, tubes and lines and uh, life support. I was all kind of things hooked to her. And I uh, would go in there and just look at her because, you, you know, we couldn't really pick her up or anything. Just look at her and pray for her and, and uh, be, be with her as much as we could uh, for that short window of time that they gave you to go in and visit. And eventually, a uh, neurosurgeon called us aside, called us into a little meeting there one day. He said, uh, you know, her survival uh, chances have increased. He said, but uh, uh, her quality of life is not going to be the same as normal, you know, normal child. He said she's probably going to be uh, handicapped. He said she'd probably be uh, paralyzed. And uh, he said she probably won't see, she won't hear, uh, she won't be able to talk. Uh, Oh my goodness! So the picture he painted was so gloom. You know? How old were you and your wife at this time? Oh, brother, that's a tough question. I, I was uh, in my twenties. I forget exactly how old we were when she was, uh, you know, when she was born. Um, but uh, in a process of time, uh, she was moved to from ICU to a regular room, and uh, you know, she started doing. Not normal things, but you know, she started uh, doing, I guess, more of a normalcy uh, in the hospital room, and we'd set her up to bed. It was very obvious she couldn't see and uh, she couldn't hear. There was different things happening, so we brought her home. And uh, my grandma was alive back in that back at that time, and uh, grandma used to wear um, I don't know bright you know bright clothes, and she had all mm-hmm. these different things that she wear, and she had a this red scarf on one day. And uh, this was several months after the initial uh, incident. And uh, Miranda starts reaching for that red scarf, and my grandma calls us over. And uh, sure enough, you know, she was very obvious that she was seeing what she was reaching for. And uh, so in the process of time, she got to where she could see, and she was moving her arms and her legs a little more. And uh, we visited the, the neurosurgeon one day, and he set her on the table and he starts doing his exam and his check you know and he looks at us he said i'll tell you right now he said uh, he, you can thank god for what he's done he said because uh at the point when she was at the er and came in for that emergency surgery he said there was very limited possibility she'd even live he said uh more of a 98 percent chance she'd never even come out of that operating room he said i couldn't tell you that then but that's how severe uh, her condition was. Hmm. And uh, they put a shunt, play, a shunt track placement in, and uh, that shunt track is more of a, a bypass uh, for the, the uh, canal, I forget what it's called, cerebral ductal canal that drains the, blood, the fluid off the brain. He put that shunt in, and uh, it started working, and then they went back in for a second surgery. We were in there, I don't know, probably... Uh, several weeks that we were in the uh, hospital with her and they'd done three surgeries within those couple of weeks um, but eventually I get back to uh, after her release from the hospital uh, probably at two years old things started to kind of kind of transition you know she was she was behind in a lot of areas but uh, you know we, she realized she could see and, and she was starting to take those steps and walk it and talk it and you know, doing normal things that uh, toddlers do. She was a little bit behind in her in her uh, motor skills and all, but she was catching up pretty fast. And 
through a process of time, uh, you know, we had many ministers across the country praying for uh, our own pastor and our own church was very supportive and uh, family. We had, you know, our family was very supportive of it. Uh, but she, uh, she started to, to uh, develop and grow up and uh, for most part, she's a pretty normal kid. And uh, in her preteen years, you know, she'd done most of the things that most kids do. Uh, she got to walking and doing things that the doctors just admonished. You know, every time we go see him, he's like, I can't believe this is happening. And uh, to kind of tell you what it was like when we walk in the doctor's office, we walk in, there's wheelchairs, kids sitting all around in wheelchairs and, and all kinds of devices. And she would walk in and everybody kind of look at us like, okay, what are you doing here? Yeah. Um, because we just walked in and sat down. They'd call her back. It was like people in the waiting room would ask me because my wife, you know, they don't let two people go back in the exam room. And they'd ask me, hey, what's wrong wrong with your wife or your baby? Which which one is sick? And uh, I said, what's my little girl? Well, what's wrong with her? She appears to be fine. And uh, I said, oh, she's had... She's had brain surgery, and they said, whoa, what kind of, you know, what was wrong with her? Because, you know, everybody else in there is in wheelchairs and, right. you know, all kinds of devices. And I said, well, she had hydrocephalitis. And this little lady said, well, my kid had the same thing. You know, I mean, her little boy sitting there with uh, in a wheelchair with his arms strapped down and, and couldn't mm-hmm. move. And, and uh, so one lady comes in and was talking to her one day. She said, well, that's about the same thing my little girl has. <clears throat> and... Uh, there she is, a little girl's in a uh, some type of a device, you know, she she couldn't move uh, on her own. And we had this uh, mostly normal-looking child, you know. Uh, so to tell you that, God's worked all kinds of miracles for, uh, not just for us, but for and now her. She's, now she's married and has a beautiful little girl that I think you're a little partial to. <laughs> well, who couldn't be, you yeah. know, <laughs> or who but wouldn't be? Let me ask you something. Uh, to to the parents right now that are dealing with the same things you went through, um, they are dealing with a sickness in a child that the outcome does not look as good as it, they want it to be. What what would you tell them as a word of advice or how you made it through or how you overcame? What is one thing that you really hung on to through that difficult time? You know, Tony, probably uh, having the support group that we had was, uh, you know, at that time we didn't realize what was going on. We didn't realize the impact it was making in in our life and the community. I mean, there was there was bankers, there was lawyers and doctors around this community that knew about her. Um, but, you know, the church was probably the, uh, the thing that we... Uh, stood upon even though we were working in this department uh, where we're sitting today you know we were working in here with uh, with the Sunday school department um, you know church attendance you know I've heard pastors plea and trying to get people to realize the importance of, of church attendance but you know the church body during the week we we're all out doing our own things and and uh, you know performing the things that we had to uh, in the secular world but when we come together on Sunday morning uh, church attendance is so important. Uh, not just uh, that we send our kids to church, that, but we we take them to church, and we're involved in the, in their spiritual growth as well as we are uh, their physical. Because the spiritual is is uh, is greater than the physical. Uh, 
Uh, we all have physical uh, limitations, but if we can get the spiritual, uh, we get the spiritual down, then those physical limitations, that that sickness, uh, it may not go away. Uh, God chooses to heal the ones that He desires. I don't know the answers to that, right. but um, you know He chooses to heal the ones He desires, and. Uh, you know, we've got families now that we know of that have children that are very ill or very uh, crippled or, you know, have all types of things uh, that we would consider wrong with them. But uh, they really, uh, they're just trials uh, that keep us where we need to be, I think. Right. Uh, you know, so many times people I've seen have a have an illness or have something happen and they, they run to the church. But those people that... Uh, stay in the church and stay with church no matter if it's uh rain or shine you know good times or bad times uh you know they're always uh going to be victorious right and uh you know no matter if they live with that that illness uh for their life it's a reason a purpose and god's got you know he's got the the reason and a purpose in mind of what he's wanting so both of your kids now are still serving they're still building the kingdom they're still they're still a part of the church. How did you raise your children? A lot of a lot of evangelists and ministers um, that's been so full time invested in in the church. It always seems like not always. I can't use that word. It, it, it seems like a lot of the time they're the kids suffer to the point that they no longer are in church. How did you raise Miranda and Elena to where they're they're both still serving God with a, with a passion and with a purpose. What, what did you and your wife instill in them? Well, you know, Tony, I think that goes back to a comment I made just a moment ago. Um, church attendance. Um, you know, we you can teach them things in home, and that's important. Um, but the Word of God tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, you know, Miranda's got friends here at this local church. Um, that she calls on every day and we develop she's developed those friendships and those relationships uh, with people inside the church uh, you know we Miranda was in public school for a short time and and things got so bad in public schools and I know that there's all kinds of conversation about public schools and common core and all the different uh, things you could discuss about public schools but uh, she come home one day telling us some things, and I said, "No, I said, uh, you know, we we can't do that any longer." Uh, so we pulled her out of public school. Well, the school here got real upset about it because they were, you know, they get with a child that's got special needs, they get three or four thousand dollars a month in grants yeah. and money, and so the school got real, real upset. In fact, they got so bad uh, against us pulling her out. They got an attorney, and and I said, "Well, you know, I've got the right to." a voice in this myself so we got an attorney and we kind of duked it out with the school system uh, but we brought her home and we started homeschooling and uh, gave her the best that we could with schooling um, but I think uh, keeping her involved in church was is has been uh, you know keeping Miranda involved in church has been uh, a great uh, source of strength that she's drawn on but now Elena's a lot different. Miranda's a—I mean, it's two different two, uh, two different children. They both have different uh, personalities, and you know, completely. Uh, even though they're raised in the same house, they're two completely different yeah. kids. Uh, but 
Elena is uh, very outgoing, never meets a stranger, uh, loves to travel. She, she travels with y'all. She full-time. travels full. Well, I'm saying full time. She's uh, she's trying to do some of her own things now uh, by herself. She's recently gotten in the Allstate Choir. And I don't know. You kids grow up and you you want to keep them close, but you're glad to see them getting involved in. But it's, there's the no greater too. joy than watching them start building their own place in the kingdom. Oh yeah. No greater joy. But with the two differences, um, two different kids. I say two different. Two different kids. Uh, Miranda, we pulled out of school very early. I mean, she was uh, I don't know second or third grade. I think she was second grade. And for two different reasons, you know. Um, and so we had two different two different kids. We're talking about. Um, but Elena was in school and doing very good in school. Uh, she's on the principal's list every quarter. Uh, straight A student, never had a moment's trouble with her. Um, whereas we had to work extra hard just to keep uh, keep Miranda going, uh, going strong. But uh, Elena, we pulled her out. I think she was, I believe she was in the sixth grade, the end of the sixth grade. Uh, we were trying to evangelize and trying to keep her in school. And it just got to be, uh, it got to be a challenge. And so, a lot of times we'd leave on on Thursday evening and we get home late Monday depending on where we're traveling to or from and uh, so we decided one day to to uh, to pull her out of out of school and start homeschooling her so we made that we made that transition and uh, she picked it up because we kept the same curriculum that she was using in her school we just adapted that curriculum to to uh, homeschool her with so uh, you know, she was homeschool. I say homeschool. She done very little of it at home. She done most of it on the highway. Car school. Yeah, car school, truck school, <laughs> you know, van, where we were at. And, uh, but she's maintained, uh, she's a straight A student. Um, she had, we've had no problems with her, uh, so far. Thank the Lord. Uh, but she's, she's involved this week with Youth Quake. She's, uh, in the choir. She's working, uh, different, different areas of, uh, of that conference or this conference uh so she really uh, you know she loves ministry she can run puppets way better than i can <laughs> and, and me too i had to help your wife this morning yeah because <laughs> she was involved that i was like this is not my critique place here but for those that don't know tony and craig and sister ramsey and myself we had a hundred and uh, about 130 students uh between the ages of five and 11 years old in our let in that our old, i just want everybody to let that sink in <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 130 students that's a lot of kids yeah and so we're all in there working together as a giant team oh yeah and but awesome numbers holy ghost received yeah this year i think uh our numbers are around 26 27 28 something like that but years past uh I remember several years ago, Pastor prophesied way before Youthquake time. Youthquake's always the third week of July. And this was like January, I guess. It was early. You know, it was in the winter months. He stood up one day and made a really bold prophecy. He said, we're going to have over 100 at the Holy Ghost at, at uh, Youthquake. And uh, people were just, I mean, that built faith tremendously because that word gotten out. And there was people coming that year for the Holy Ghost. I mean, it was like the, the, the intent was to get here so they could get the Holy Ghost. And uh, I don't remember how many we had in in the kids' quake, but I know total there was well over 100 on this campus that received the Holy Ghost in those in those three days. That's awesome. Uh, 
there's been lots of things happen at Youthquake. I mean, it's talked about all over, not even tri-state area. I mean, it's there's been people as far away as Arizona that have come to Youthquake, uh, maybe even further than that. Uh, but it's, it's been a great conference. And keeping your kids involved in something like Youthquake and Youth Congress. Youth Congress will be in a couple of weeks. And uh, Elena's packing up right now. She comes home and packs a few things every day, getting ready for, for Youth Congress. So keeping your children involved in, in those types of things uh, will help you and help them tremendously stay involved and stay a part of the kingdom of God. Sure. I want, I'm want. i going to tell you a story, Brother Eddie, and as soon as the story's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the story with a question for you. Uh, about three, four years ago, possibly, uh, our local assembly, the Pentecostals of Jonesboro, had the privilege of having Dennis and Mary Plock in service with us. They are pioneers of children's evangelism. And in that service, we had, I'd say, close to a couple hundred kids about the same age range you were just talking about. And the service had went on, just an awesome service, and all the kids had gathered up to the front the altar when that was over, and some kids were really receiving um, the Holy Ghost, receiving blessings. You know, they were just thrilled about what was going on. Um, Sister Plock, if you don't know her, uh, she's she's straightforward, and she grabbed me. Um, I was stand, just standing in the altar, and she grabbed me and said, "Hey, I want you to pray for this boy." He's got some strongholds attached to him. And I, I know this little boy. He attends our church every Sunday. Um, very faithful. But this this service, I believe it was on a Thursday or Friday night, he was just very lethargic. He had no interest in being there. Um, Sister Kim was telling us that whenever the altar call was given, she pretty much had to drag him to come up to the front. But before that, whenever we picked him up on the Sunday school bus, we had to drag him out of the sun. That's not him at all. But Sister Plock said, hey, I need you to pray for that. That old boy, he's got strongholds. Well, I prayed for him for a couple of minutes and absolutely nothing. You know, his, his fists were clenched. His head was down. He was just sitting on the steps of the altar. And I walked away super spiritual. Me, I was like, he's not responding to anything. I'm just going to walk away here. And Sister Plock convicted me. She said, well, if you're not going to go pray for him, go grab your mother-in-law because she will. So I go and grab Kim and I say, hey, Sister Plock wants you to pray for this little boy. And she believes he's got some strongholds on his life. And so Kim began to pray for him. But with the same result, you know, nothing had happened. And... It wasn't much longer after that that this little boy jumps up. And if you've never been to our church, the sanctuary sits in the middle and there's a big circle that's around the sanctuary that's the hallways to the to different classrooms and to the to entryway and, you know, pastor's office. But he runs out to the back door and makes a right and runs immediately into the bathroom. And me and a couple other ministers, including my pastor, follow him in there. Um, when we walk in there, like he's hitting the walls and he's hitting the um, the countertops where the sinks are placed, and you know he was he was just so angry. And my pastor asked this little boy, said, "Can I pray for you? Just would you accept that?" And the little boy shook his head, yes. And pastor began to pray for him, and there, you could tell something was in pastor's spirit because he. The way he was praying for this little boy, it was almost he was getting a reaction 
that he wasn't expecting. He looked at the us guys that was in the restroom with this little boy, and he looked at us and said, pray up and be ready. And he looks at that little boy and said, I'm going to pray for you one last time. And our pastor lays hands on his head and starts demanding that the spirits and demons come out of his body. And the second, Brother Eddie, that he said that, this little boy began to throw up. And I will never forget that. But he looked at me and he said, what has happened? Where am I? We kind of explained to him, you know, you were sick. You know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to scare him. That's the last thing we wanted to do. But I, I, I remember putting my arm around him and walking him back into the sanctuary. He said, I don't know what happened, but I went to that bathroom because something in my head was telling me to hurt myself. Hmm. And I, uh, I raised some money from every man that was in that bathroom. I went, and camp was right around the corner, and I said, guys, we got to send this old boy to camp because he didn't have nothing. And um, those guys, with, without a shadow of a doubt, not did we only raise the money, but we gave him some spending money while he was down there. And that week of camp, kids' camp, he received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And what the most powerful thing of the whole story was before, while he was at the children's um, revival with the plocks, he would worship with his fists clenched. After he received the gift of the Holy Ghost, he would pray and worship with his hands open. And my question to you, Brother Eddie, is um, what is our biggest threat to our church children that we have to really watch for? What is the biggest threat that catches them? What can we help distract from that point? And that is a huge question, brother. Um, being involved in ministry, you know, sometimes you go to churches and you don't really, uh, you don't really know all the details that are going on in each child's life. I mean, uh, and this is from a from a, a minister perspective. I don't know. I guess it would say from the church perspective. Church is pretty big. I mean, church right. is the body, so considered just to be a little small part of it. But you know, as an evangelist, you go to all the different churches and, and you try to hold the pastor's hands up and the Sunday school teachers and you try to encourage the staff. And, and uh, you know, sometimes revival, kids' revival is not about how many get the Holy Ghost or, or what's going on, you know, as far as, uh, as, re- as revival as we think of it, you know, the growth of the church. Sometimes it's about the, the spiritual growth of the church. Um, and our kids are dealing with, man, they're dealing with all kinds of spirits. Uh, the schools are full of them. Uh, uh, you know, there's many spirits that we could talk about, um, but our kids are exposed to so many things, and as, as the parents sometimes are, are maybe unaware or lack of concern, whatever the case may be. Um, but I think the spiritual warfare that we're fighting is it's not a flesh and blood, uh, but it's the principalities of the air, of the air. And uh, uh, the spirits that are in the air and the principalities and things of the air, bro, that's exactly what they are. They have no strength. They have no power over the name of Jesus. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say that first of all. Um, and so presenting, uh, presenting the gospel and, and uh, the fact that Jesus loves them sometimes is something that is an evangelist. It's something uh, the first time that some of them ever heard this, you know. Uh, 
you asking that question, I was thinking about this little girl um, that we we met in a different state. Um, we just call her name Abby. I don't want to give out any names because of you know trying to take care of her, safeguard our children. Uh, but Abby came to service that night and uh, she prayed and uh, we got there. We were there for the whole weekend. Abby came in. She prayed really good. She she had a good time in church. You could tell she was excited to be there. You know, it was a it was maybe not a most familiar atmosphere that she'd been in, but it was one that she was having a good time in. Uh, you could look at the little girl tell she was probably from a uh, you know a family that they maybe have too much or something. I, you know, just to look at her. Normal kid though. I mean, you know, she, of all you know just looking at her she looked normal um but uh i, I invited abby to come up and help me with a fun routine i do all kinds of routine stuff and services to to create that connection with kids you know because uh you know they they need to see that you're about them you know having fun and that type of thing but abby came up and uh helped me with this routine and, and uh, i thanked her and got her applause from the from the kids you know and got her seated back down well, that Sunday night, she come up to me and uh, she said, "Oh, brother Gordon, I got something for you." And uh, you know, I've, kids come up to—I'm sure you've had this experience. They come up, they've drawn a picture, or wrote you a letter, or, you know, something to to express their gratitude. Or, hey, Mr. Banana Man. Yeah. Hey, Balloon Man, I got something for you. <laughs> yeah. here. You know, it may be a blown up balloon that's been yeah. popped, but you know, something they give to you because it's something that means so much to them. And so Abby comes up. She says, Brother Gordon, I got this picture. And it was very evident. It was a stick-drawn picture, but she took marker colors and painted it. It was really, really pretty neat-looking little deal that she'd done. You could tell it was what it was. It was the routine that I had got her to come up and help me with. So I, you know, I, I accepted it. I took it and I folded it and stuck it in my Bible. Well, you know, we get that kind of stuff all the time. And, uh, you know, seeing different kids. So I stuck it in my Bible, thanked her, you know told her i appreciate it and she went went on her way you know and so uh pastor services over pastor carried us out to to uh, eat supper we got to the restaurant started telling him about the little girl giving me the drawing and uh i opened it he said can i see it and i said i got it out of my bible opened it up and showed it to him and uh, told him who she was you know described the little girl and uh he said let me tell you about that little girl. He said the, the area kids had invited her, one of the neighbor kids had invited her to come because she had just moved into the house with her grand, uh, grandparents and asked her to come to church. So Abby comes to church. That's uh, the, probably the first time that she'd ever been inside a church of any kind, not just a Pentecostal church, but any kind of religion. And, uh, and he said, let me tell you about her. He said, Abby come from a, a very bad background both of her parents were hooked on drugs and uh you know her mom was doing you know, crazy stuff you know just like i say it like that dad was not any better you know they were both living some pretty bad lifestyles but abby uh abby i witnessed uh, her mom murder her dad in a in a drug infested environment My God. and uh, ran away from home scared and afraid and uh, confused and um, you know I mean how would you react to something like that uh, you know I just I couldn't even imagine um, you know I've been in church on basically my whole life so you know we're kind of sheltered in, 
and shielded from a lot of that. Um, but Abby uh, came and she received the Holy Ghost uh, that weekend. She got baptized a few weeks later. Um, she talked to her grandfather and said, "Look, I want to really want to get baptized because this is something I'm." I feel good in, and, and it's like I've never felt this this freedom that I that I feel when I go to church, and and this feeling. He said, she said, I really want to, I want to get baptized, and he, she talked it over with him for a couple of days, and uh, uh, I'm telling you this because the pastor did follow up. He, he told us some more of the details later, but um, she came to church and and. Her grandfather came and, and watched her get baptized. Well, God, uh, grandfather starts coming to church. You know, he starts bringing her and then started, you know, hanging around. And eventually, he was he was around the church a lot. You know, coming to church services and uh, very long hair, hippie looking, rough looking guy. And uh, and so several weeks went by and he's coming very frequently. And and so. Uh, pastor got to noticing this you know and he was being faithful to come to church and a uh, year year and a half went by and pastor told me he said uh, this guy decided one day he said I want what Abby's got he said "Wow, uh, you know her her life has been so impacted by this church and and I want to start coming and I want to I want to get what she's got um, uh, you know I, I want to follow through with what she's experiencing and uh, so they, you know, he'd learned repentance and water baptism and the filling of the Holy Ghost. So uh, we just call him Bill. Bill comes down and, and uh, repents of his sins and, and uh, sets up a time to get baptized. And he got baptized in Jesus' name. Um, the pastor told me, he said, some few weeks went by. You know, I mean, it was several months possibly. And, and uh, Bill comes to church one night or, or one service and sits down where he normally does. But pastor comes out. And he's looking around the congregation, and he said, "Oh, he said we got a we got a visitor with us today." And he said, he noticed something. And he said he sat in the same seat that Bill sat, but he said it didn't look like the same guy. Um, he had a suit on, tie, you know. He said, "Man, this guy here is, you know, he looks like he's been around church for a while, you know." And um, he gets over and starts to shake hands with Bill. Realizes he was he was thinking it was a guest or a visitor. He's and when Bill stuck his hand out, Pastor realized who it was. He had uh, he had totally, completely shaved, uh, got a haircut, put on a suit and a tie. Mm. Uh, you know, had come and got baptized and and made that his life was changed on the inside and out. Um, you know, it, it's a process of time. So I say all that to say this: uh, don't think because a child is is small. Uh, that they have an insignificant role in the kingdom. Uh, they're they're tenacious. Uh, they fast. They pray. They believe God. They have great faith, and their faith is a grain of a mustard seed or moving mountains. Right. You're right. And so, when children pray, we need to listen not just with our ears but with our hearts mm. because they are they are interceding and sometimes not just for themselves. But for those around them, whether it's their parents or, or their siblings or, uh, or their friends, uh, and so they have uh, the ability to fight the spiritual warfare sometimes greater than us adults. That's right. Because their faith is, is unlimited. Um, 
And so it's important to keep them involved in a faith-filled environment. Uh, you know, I don't know, different churches have different ideas on it, but uh, this church, Bastrop Church, is a faith-filled environment. Uh, we've seen signs, miracles, and wonders happen in this assembly. And uh, I think it's key, and I think it's important to get our children involved in that as frequently, as often as we can. So uh, I'm not, I haven't been paid, this is not a paid advertisement for Youth Congress or Kids Camp or whatever district you live in, but, man, I would encourage you, get those kids to Kids Camp, Sunday school, uh, youth rallies, whatever you can bring them to, uh, to the house of God. I think it's very key and very crucial to helping them fight those uh, that spiritual warfare. I want to tell you one last story that's pretty close to what you were just telling uh, with Abby and Bill. We were up in Canada in the Toronto district, um, and we had a street rage service where we go out into the community and say, hey, we'll, we'll mention nothing about church because if kids hear church, they're thinking, I don't want to be a part of it. Um, but we're going out and reaching to kids that have no connection, no ties with um, you know this, the churches that we're going to, just trying to help build a little bit. And this specific time I'm telling you about is we went out and this little girl's like, oh, yeah, I would love to come. We said, we're going to have games. We're going to have candy, prizes, ice cream. Come check it out. We're going to have fun. And so they come, she comes. Uh, we were doing this probably 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but service didn't start until 6 o'clock out there at the park. And this little girl got there, and she brought her grandpa with her. And grandpa stood over by the fence while this little girl got involved. You know, we um, kind of tricked him. We pulled the Jesus card on and started teaching about Jesus while we were there. And, um, you know, she really was receptive to it, raised her hands, tears streaming down her face. And uh, we thanked her for coming. And as all the kids were starting to leave, I walked over to the grandpa, and I shook grandpa's hand, and I said, Thank you so much for letting your little granddaughter come to service with us. Um, it looks like she had a good time. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to get an earful from it from her mom when we take her home. I said, oh, we didn't mean to offend you or anything. He's like, oh, no, 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 you didn't offend me, and I know you didn't offend her, but um, if, it, if her mama knew she had anything to do with church, we'd be in trouble right now. Wow. And um, I said, I did not mean, you know. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. He said, her mom is an atheist. Um, but that little girl, my granddaughter, is going to have to make a decision, just like I let my daughter make that decision. And if this is the lifestyle she wants to live, we know it's the right one. And when he said that to me, it made me realize that we don't know what kids are facing at home. We have no idea their, their, home, their home style. You know, and it just gets back to what you're saying. Get your kids involved get them connected into a source that they can just thrive in well brother eddie i want to ask you one last question before we wrap up you've been traveling for a while now uh how many states did you say 22 in the last 22 in the past uh a year year and a half okay so your last the last thing i want to get a final thought from you what has been the most rewarding thing about children's evangelism Oh my, that's another that's another loaded <laughs> yeah, question, bro. It's a loaded question. There's a lot of rewards uh, when you're dealing with with children. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of stories I could tell you about different ones that we've seen. Um, but Abby, uh, you know, seeing Abby respond to 
to the gospel the way she did. Uh, then there's uh, this uh, this guy, this this kid that I guess was probably one of the first that we prayed with in the uh, Florida area. Um, BJ came; he's five years old. Came to uh, one of our services, and BJ received the Holy Ghost. This has been a, back when we first started. I'm talking about like one of the first trips we made out of Louisiana, and uh, he received the Holy Ghost. Well, I went back last year, and I walk in this service, and in this this uh, teenage guy comes up to me and he says, Brother Gordon, you don't know me, do you? And I said, you know what? I really don't. Because we see kids, you know, you might, they may live in Florida, that's, but that's you, see in, question. you see them in, <laughs> in uh, Illinois, you know yeah. what I mean? Because we've seen kids all over, uh, you know, from different areas. So it's really hard to put a place on where you last saw them. And so he walks up. He says, you don't really know me. You don't know who I am, do you? I said, man, I'm sorry, but I don't. Uh, this five-year-old uh, little boy had grown up and is now 17 uh, last year when we saw him he's now 17 years old and, and he said brother I, I heard you were in town close by he said we drove over tonight from where they live so it's a good little ways from where he lived to where we were he said I heard you were coming by he said I wanted to come and come and see you he said I wanted to uh, you know I wanted to, to to come by and visit with you and say hello he said uh when I was five years old, he said, you you prayed with me, and he started talking about where it was at. I said, man, yeah, I remember that. And uh, little five-year-old CJ is now 17 years old. He told me, he said, brother, I've started preaching and, and feel the call of the ministry mm. in my life. So, uh, you know, that's that's pretty rewarding, you know, that seeing little awesome. guys like that, uh, you know, maybe not see them every day in their walk with God, but being a part of their their initial experience, you know. Uh, I, I pull those pictures out every once in a while. I look at them again, and you know those nights where you on the highway at three o'clock in the morning because <laughs> there's some, yeah, you just yeah. You, you get burned out, you get tired. You look at those pictures and and uh, reflect back, and you get to thinking, yeah, this is all worthwhile. This is why I'm doing yeah, it. This is why I'm doing it. Brother Eddie, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to sit down with hey, us. Hey yeah, to any time. Enjoyed it. So. For the people out there looking for a dynamic children's evangelist, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, well, they they can uh, call us. <laughs> okay, but there's not uh, there's not a lot of us that do what we do, you know. So uh, let me first of all point them to the Apostolic Children's Ministers Association website, uh, which is uh, is hosted by the United Pentecostal Church International. Right. And uh, in the, on that website, uh, there's people uh, like myself and the Ramses and and uh, the Rimmers and Borlicks. Or the Borlicks and all oh, the list goes on and on. Uh, that's just a few of the few of the ones that we're close to. What an awesome with. team we're a part of. So I'd I'd say you know don't just consider necessarily one evangelist. Yeah, get them in. Get maybe one this year, next year. Maybe use the same one, but switch it up. You know, let let the kids get a different uh, evangelist. You know, get a perspective of different ministry styles. Uh, because we don't use the same in pulpit ministry, they they don't get the same evangelists come by every year preaching the same uh, same message, same crowd. You know they right. they switch it up and and variety is good. Uh, you know there's a fivefold ministry, so I'd encourage you don't just get a hold of us, but get a hold of uh, any of these guys that that are out doing uh, the work of evangelist. Uh, but if you if you care to get just us, I mean you know you want to try to reach out to us. Uh, uh, my cell phone number is, is pretty public. I mean, I don't, sure. I don't, 
I get plenty of spam, so if you call and I don't answer, just leave a message. (laughs) And how do they find you on Facebook? Is it Eddie Gordon? Yeah, it's Eddie Gordon, E-D-D-I-E-G-O-R-D-E-N. If you pull it up, you're going to see pictures of balloons. And I'm not talking about cartoon (laughs) balloons. I'm not talking about little small balloons. It's a giant balloon we've got all over (laughs) Facebook. But uh, you can reach us there. I don't really answer Messenger on there a whole lot because signals and – that's just not uh, part of what we do too much. I do answer a few messages on there, uh, but our cell phone is area code three one eight five four seven five four nine one. Perfect. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in, listening to another episode of Crucial Conversations. But Eddie, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Um, you have an email that's listed in the link below. And thanks again.